Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Wynton Marsalis is an American icon, a jazz master who is as fluent in music as he is in discussing matters of race. In our continuing focus on Black History Month, we're revisiting our conversation with Marsalis about a new composition inspired by civil rights icon Fannie Lou Hamer. Hear him talk about that and his very strong views on rap music right now. Wynton Marsalis, thank you very, very much for being on the podcast. Man, it's such a pleasure. You know, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and I'm honored to be here. Well, okay, so everyone knows that you're a jazz man. Is it fair to call you a race man in the classic sense? Yes, fair. Define it. I think as a person who has pride in whatever their subculture or subgroup is, in this case, black American, um, it d- doesn't mean that you're against other people, but you're conscious of the history of your subculture and that you are, you embrace it and you, you believe in it, you don't mind speaking on it. You're not, in a traditional sense, it means you are not ashamed and that you are conscious of it and, uh, and of what the struggle has been. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like that. I've always talked about racial issues and been critical on both sides and, and been, been for real about, uh, about it. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring in the hood and the, I'm proud of it, no problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna get into the, the the critical stuff in a moment. So, talk about how jazz and race, to, to your mind, are they're so inextricably linked? Right. Well, the music was born in a segregation time of, of a, a segregation and prejudice, injustice, and the musicians were always engaged in a battle to bring the nation to to its to its creed, as no, the first public integration in the 20th century was on a jazz bandstand, Benny Goodman. The musicians were integrated long before the, the in public before the culture was, and they were, they were vocally so. Benny Goodman made no bones about it. He was, he was in public with what he did, and Duke Ellington and other really conscious musicians were always speaking about uh, injustice and the need to address American freedoms and to pursue them and uh, the other powerful statement is the musicians played together. So they were, that was the point that they, were, that they were making. This was in the 30s when films always had black people in the worst roles. They were in the centerpiece of jazz, and they were in the, cent- they were in the center of jazz also playing with uh, fantastic white musicians and musicians of other races. Let's not also forget the Afro-Latin jazz. It's a tendency, of course, to just lump the Afro-Latin in with the black. But uh, that was also a strain in our music that we were always integrating, talking with each other, relating to one another. Uh, Dave Brubeck had the first integrated unit in the in the in the armed forces in World War Two as a band. Mm-hmm. So that goes on and on down the line about jazz. During an in, uh, I believe it was in an interview with the Undefeated earlier this year, you were talking about this this very subject and um, the role of jazz and race and at one point you um to this point of integration black and white people playing together and coming up with something creative virtuosic socially aware and elevatory is considered subversive right at that time it was considered subversive subversive now at this time to do that for anybody is subversive so how explain that more now we're more in in the stage everything is a product so even if you try to make some type of statement you have to make it a product first so when you what kind of product? An artistic, an artistic thing that you, if you want to be in front of people, you have to figure out how you're going to make your statement be a product. Mm-hmm. So if you say don't kill people, you have to kill people. If you say don't, I don't like pornography, you got to show pornography. So it's uh, it's difficult to to come together and be for real because things are products first. Mm-hmm. And because of that, does that cheapen whatever message the yes. person's trying to, to yes. get across? Very strongly. <laughs> yes, it cheapens it. It's like taking this, like you can join this church, but you don't have to read the book. Now let me stand up here in front of y'all and I'm going to show you what I don't want you to do. <laughs> I don't need mm-hmm. you to show me what, you see? So yeah, it does that. What do you make of where America is right now when it comes to race. Just within the last few months, we've had the Starbucks situation in Philadelphia. 
what, now three or four incidents at Waffle Houses in the South. You got President Trump. You've got Charlottesville. You've got any number of things. I think we have deep-rooted problems that have nothing to do with those little instances that are the least of the actual the actual sad part of racism is not anything to do with some guys in the Starbucks or President Trump. Or the sad thing has to do with how the education system has been hijacked, how money has been dispersed to people for saying their kids or, or special ed kids, how we've lost a grip on our morality in the black community. And uh, we've been just allowed ourselves to be productized and just everything we put out as a product for everyone's entertainment, including our own, using using pornography and, uh, and, and profanity and addressing ourselves in the lowest, most disrespectful form. I think the many millions of little decisions, from housing decisions to uh, to legal decisions that go on every day, that's where you see the real actual racism. And uh, you, you, you feel it and you see it in the country. You can see it even in Manhattan, how the population has changed. It is real. I go all over the country. It's real in Detroit. It's real in Chicago. Now, we like to fixate on these things. You know, Trump, okay, he, we know what he represents. He was true. He, he was true to his word. That's what he said he was going to do. But b- before Trump, did all of, of all the racial problems alleviated during Obama's eight years? When would brothers' names mention them? Almost never, except to say don't have children. And uh, so, I, I'm not a uh, I'm not a party liner. You know, I'm just not. It's not my vibe. I don't, and I think people's lives are too serious to waste on the party line. And when you look at the trajectory of our country since the civil rights movement, you see the direction we have been going in. And there's no kind of saints and sinners. It's, 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 a, it's a national problem, and it's a, it's a problem of identity. And people are feeling the brunt of it. And, and not, the least of it is definitely not cultural. You can't have a pipeline of filth be your def- default position, and, you, and it's free. <laughs> now, the nation is entertained by that. It's not free. Just like the toll the minstrel show took on black folks and on white folks. Now... All this nigga this, bitch that, hoe that. It's just a fact at this point. For me, it was it was not a default position in the, in the 80s. Now that it is the default position, how you like me now? You like what it's yielding? If you something is wrong with you, you need your head examined if you like this. And uh that's not that's we we it was like almost like adults left the room or something. We've known each other now for at least 15 years. I don't know how I didn't know this, that you really, really, really do not like rap. No, and, I don't. And hip-hop. I do not like it. I've, been, I've said it since three, and it doesn't matter that I don't like it. And I recognize that. But I'm from the civil rights movement, so I was called a nigga. So, and I'm not talking about in my neighborhood. Okay, which of course that went on, but I mean, <laughs> I'm talking about just for me, it's just not, it just, I don't like the fact the drums going away. I'm not, I don't mind the computer, computers, are, they're fine, but they, they can't de- replace the people. I don't mind autopilot, but let's have a pilot. I don't mind the doctors, use all the tools and the modern technology, but let's have the doctor. Like, let's let the focus be on the human. So I didn't like the drums going away. And uh, I still have not given up on public music education. And I don't believe that, that, that there's a movement now to drag public music education down into that. Man, it's, just, it's almost comical to me. So I've never, in my, I've been consistent. I started saying this in 1985 or 86. Of course, it has had very little effect. But I, I look at it just like a person who would have went along with the minstrel show in 1873 because everybody was looking at it. I want to be on record. No, and I don't think all rap is not creative. I don't think rapping, per se, talking and rhyming is not a creative endeavor. It is. But the position of a lot of the most popular music is not a default position for a majority culture. It's a mistake to have a profane majority position. Don't keep it real. Give me something that's less real. I don't need you to give me a, a, a videotape of what you're doing in the, bath, uh, in, the, in the bedroom with your wife so we're going to sit up and show the kids. We don't need to see that. It's real, but it's not. We need to, we need to measure what we're doing. And uh, it's had the effect it, it's had. And it's clear what it is. Many times we're so segregated, we don't see what the effect is. People not, they're not, 
teaching kids. They're not dealing with the whole kind of culture that's being created. They deal with it in their way. Like, oh, this is something nice for us. Like we're going on safari. Mm -hmm. You might be on safari, but if you're not on safari and you actually live in that, you're not having a good time. Let me take you back to an interview you did in 2016 on CNN with Christiane Amanpour on, on, along these lines where she, she says, you've also said for some, slavery is a more lucrative and sustainable story while freedom remains as a hard-fought thing for all. Um, and then you say, yes, it's very hard. That's why it's much easier. Uh, she asks, so are you saying people spend too much time looking back? And then you said, no, I'm saying what people... I'm saying that people want to be slaves, people want to be slaves, people want to have slaves, people want to exploit the work of people for nothing, people want to call themselves pejorative names for the entertainment of a larger group of people, people want to take their clothes off so people can see, they want to exhibit, they want to accept less of and present less of their humanity to be liked. Later on you say, it's a desire to alter who you actually are to be liked and to fall into an archetype that's ultimately destructive for you, and our music is the opposite of that, our music being jazz. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's just go back to the playground. If you go to the playground, you can understand it all. You're like the fat kid who wants to tease themselves, or and it's not funny, but they want to get along. Or bully comes in and starts whipping people's ass. You got to figure out, hey, I'm a, you're, gonna, you're not going to fight. How are you going to back away, cussing and screaming? Either way, you're going to capitulate. So you start to choose like your form of capitulation. And, uh, you know, I, what, we, what we've done in my adult time and what the decisions we've made as a culture, not just black people, <laughs> okay? It's not, I can't, you can't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what prism you have to look, look through to say, wow, great, this is fantastic. I don't say it. I don't care how popular stuff is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Well, what responsibility then do white people have for the the racial conundrum that we're in? We all have a responsibility. Have always been in. We all have a responsibility. I'm responsible to some white kids that come to study with me, not just to teach them about black kids, to teach them what I know about life. We are all responsible. We're all culpable. We don't. We don't. We don't. Um, we don't separate our lives. And in this, in this country, into white and black in such a clear way that I say, well, I have a white student. I'm going to teach them less. I can't tell them. I'm going to teach them more. So we're all culpable. Now, I try always to teach my, my students, y'all have to deal with these issues and be, be for real about talking about them. And I, my black students, I don't want you in here uh, one-upping white students for an experience you didn't actually have. Hmm. Now you're looking at something on TV and you have a chance to whine and complain about some cops. Shoot, didn't nobody shoot you. The way you came from, you didn't even, but, and even if you came from there, even if you came from there, what does that have to do with what we're doing in here? I have experience. We all have some experiences, things we don't like, things we like. What can I bring to you that will help you? And what things do I have to eat? We all have things we have to eat. And uh, that's, that's, that's what life is. That's what being an adult is. And, and you, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a divorce you don't like. It doesn't matter if it's, Bills you don't feel like playing, a job you don't want to work. You can go in every day, your life is over because you got to work that job. Or the whole world has got to suffer because you had a divorce. This part, a part of life is dealing with difficulty and being adult about it and mature and trying to affect change in a positive way and not stopping at the point of pain. Your interest in, in, in race doesn't only have to do with its relationship to music, its relationship to jazz. I mean, you were, very, you were intimately involved in what then Mayor Landrew was doing and going through in New Orleans around the Confederate, the Confederate statues. Who reached out to whom first? Did he reach out to you because you're you you are a native son, or did you reach out to him? No, we just it's just really two middle aged people who played trumpet in high school, who've known each other for years, sitting down having breakfast, talking. I was going out of town. He was talking about the tricentennial. I didn't set out to talk with him about those statues. We we're talking about all, if anything, the conversation was he he we, he was talking about all of the black kids who were killing each other. And he said when he became mayor, he would go speak to every parent. He said, man, I had no idea of how many people it is that get killed 
kind of so what they call black on black crime. I was like, hey, people kill people in their neighborhood. Chinese people kill Chinese people. They don't come kill white people, kill white people. If you're around people, that's where you're going to commit your crime. So the, the lack of economic opportunity makes people commit these crimes. So we started to go back and forth. And he talked about a fight they had to restore the black causeway. The, the city of New Orleans built a causeway through black Mardi Gras. Black Mardi Gras used to take place on, uh, on, on, on Claiborne Avenue. I think it's Claiborne. And, and the city fathers, to give them a gift, drew a, put a causeway through it to end it. And it effectively ended that Mardi Gras. Now people don't remember that. So he was saying, man, I want to get this rebuilt or take this out. And the black people didn't want it. They didn't remember it. And so we started to talk about how that, just the ironies and stuff. We just having just a typical conversation. Yeah, but what about this? Uh, about this Robert E. Lee statue, man. It, we, that's what you need to do for the tricentennial. You take that statue down. He said, "Let me see whose jurisdiction it's under." But I want to make it clear that it was in the context of a lot of different conversations, none of which were heated fighting type conversations. We're really, man, twenty five years or something. We're just sitting down having a basic conversation that you would normally have. Your family, your this, somebody passing away, somebody had dementia, kids. Uh, and then he called me later and said, man, you know, them damn statues are under my jurisdiction. So, you know, we started to talk about it. And I just said, you know, I, I don't, I, we started to talk about the larger national conversation. And I, I, we were talking about conflating issues. Like, well, if you do that, you have to take this down. He says, let's not conflate all these issues. You can do that. You don't have to do any of that other stuff. We're talking about a general who committed treason against the United States of America, killed American soldiers, did not defend the state of Louisiana. I mean, it's, that's kind of who puts up a statue to it. So he, he agreed with that. And uh, he's the one who, who dealt with the fight to do that. It was only a conversation with me and him. He asked me if I would write an article. I wrote the article, and it was in the paper. And uh, that, that's, that was all it was. But it's part of ongoing conversations that all of us have of different races. Because, uh, you know, I went to school. My school was integrated in the 70s before it resegregated. And when I see my white friends who are now 50-something, we've been friends for a long time. And we have serious conversations like you have with, with long-term friends. And that was, that was the kind of characteristic of that, not let's have a meeting and discuss this statue and let's go argue and fight about black and white folks. It wasn't that way. It's interesting. You, you downplay your, your impact and, and, and your role. I wrote a column. We were just talking. Um, but do you, you surely recognize and see the power of your words and your, what's the word I'm looking for? Example's not the right word, but. My words are not that powerful. I, I started saying in 1985, I don't think we should have music talking about niggas and bitches and hoes. It had no impact. I've said it, I've repeated it, I still repeat it. To me, that's more, that's more damaging than a statue of Robert E. Lee. That statue of Robert E. Lee took me, I saw the statue, my great uncle hated it, I talked about it. But try to talk somewhere in front of a group of black folks about turning that off. Man. Well, what, well okay, what's try, been your, what's been your them, experience? Try to, ask them, try to ask them not to do it. We, me and Cornell West talked at the Black Arts Festival. Man, I, you know, I talked about subjects I know little about, politics and this and that. I spoke, everybody said, yeah, brother. Yeah, brother, oh, brother, yeah, I agree with you. The second we got on the one subject, I know I know more than anybody in that room about music. <laughs> when I started to tell them that, they didn't want to hear that. Hey, we don't want to hear that, man. You don't know what you're talking about. We like that. And, uh, you know, is there, is, you have a responsibility to communicate. So I communicate. And people are also not, uh, this, is, this is, is, is democracy. They're not forced to accept your point of view. And I actually applaud the freedom. I understand that people have spoken. This is the decision they made. Now I'm, I'm 56 years old. I'm not a kid. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to even be alive whenever it goes away from that, what we're in. Uh, but I feel that that's much more of a, of a racial issue than taking Robert E. Lee's statue down. There's more niggas in that than there is in Robert E. Lee's statue. But the Robert E. Lee statue, you talk about that. I did a little bit with that. What about this? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I've been I've had many more battles over this other one than over that. <laughs> That's and that took place in high schools all across the United States of America in front of black students and with parents. And it continues to take place. How do how do students react to what you to what you say? And that's what they like. It's like my mama telling us not to look at movies about pimps. Man, we was gonna see Superfly. We didn't care what she said. 
you know, she used to say all the time, I don't see a movie about a goddamn pimp. Where you going to go from here? Well, now we can, I wish she passed away last summer, but she could see where we went. She saw where you okay, went. We, and she hated that. But did we not go see it? Man, we lined up in droves to see that. You, was you going to miss the Mac? <laughs> were you going to miss Superfly? Or was you going to miss any of the movies about pimps that we all lined up and, and died about seeing? Man, we wasn't going to miss that. That's what they think about what I'm telling them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll listen to it and be like, man, okay. Do you have any hope that th- that those young people who say, but this is what we like, that they will gravitate from that yeah, and I'm move to hope. something more? I'm always hopeful. I gravitated from it. I loved it. You know, I'm from the hood, man. I'm not a dude who was ever separated from like the kind of mainline black experience. I loved it. But stupidity and stuff, hey, I was into it. I'm not a person who, uh, I'm not, I don't look down on people for it. It's, it's, it's what's available. I question the responsibility of it, and I question uh, the linguistic part of it, it, whether that's a mainstream position. You are you are known for marrying your your views on race, dare I say, even political views as they pertain to race, to your music. In '94 is when you won the Pulitzer Prize, the first jazz musician to ever win a Pulitzer Prize for Blood on the Fields. Uh, in 2007, no, in, uh, in 86, Black Codes from the Underground won the Grammy. In 2007, From the Plantation to the Penitentiary came out. That's a good title. From <laughs> the Plantation to the Penitentiary, that's a real life journey right there. Mm-hmm. And so now, <laughs> coming up very soon, in June, you're coming out with your your next um, your next work. It's called the Ever Funky Lowdown. Ever funky. I'm sorry, Ever Funky <laughs> Lowdown. Where does where does this fit in with those other works that I just mentioned in in, in their exploration of America's relationship with race? You know, it just builds on the, the the question of who is we? Who is we? That's, well, who that's is the we? They, they say, he, he tells you, it's, it's in, the, in there, it's, it's the, 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 the main character, Ever Funky Lowdown is a game. And the, and the, the guy who's the, the, the leader of the game, his name is Mr. Game. So, so he's, he's running game. And his game is to, he gives you seven attitudes you have to pass through to qualify for the prizes. And then if you pass those seven attitudes, you win the five prizes. So the first attitude is we are the greatest in the world. We are the greatest it's ever been. Everyone wants to be like us. The second is who are those people over there? Are they, are they like us? To have a community, you have to count who's in it. You have to account for what they do. And you have to be responsible for the well-being of the community. Go count them. Counted them and came back and said, wow, there's it's a lot of them. Says, I heard that they don't believe in God. I heard that they have a lot of babies. I heard that they're trying to do something to us. We need to do something about them. The next one is, let's go to the Council of Elders and get them to declare war on these people. We have to stop them from what they're doing. We declare war on them. We, we beat them. Then the next step of it is, let's change the record to show that they were offensive toward us and that we had a defensive action and we had to kill them. Then the next step is, let's get them over here to justify what we did to them. Let's have our narrative come out of their mouths. Then the step after that is let's have absolutely no shame about it. Now, if you pass those seven and you have all those characteristics, then you get the prizes. Absolute segregation and homogenization. The domestic battle and the death of romance. Because after you fight everybody, you can only fight in your house. And once everything is for sale, you can commodify, you can get to your own kids. They're a market. You can sell stuff to them. Then the next step of it is commodification of community and uh, primetime pornography. Well, we got that now. We don't have to worry about it. We're covering that. Then the next is surveillance, constant surveillance and fear through security. You can't have enough security because these people are here and everything that you got to be careful what's going on. And then then a rebel comes and, and, and gives you a little respite. And then the man says, these rebels come and go. We're glad to see them because the ever funky is too easy. Now your last gift is absolute absence of thought and freedom from engagement. So you don't have to think about nothing. You have to be engaged. Here, play this game. He says, and at the end, they say, who is we? He says, 
He says, well, who is us? He says, us is you when you have the opportunity to be. So the game is, you think it's about black and white folks, but it's not. You think he's, he's, he's playing off a kind of black-white dynamic. Mm-hmm. The whole time he is, but in the end, he's saying, you, you ever wonder why a person would fight for the Confederate Army to keep people enslaved who were taking their job? Who A, a slave was taking your job, and you went out and fought to keep him in the place of where your job would be. Why would you do that? That's the ever funky lowdown. That you will act absolutely against your best interests because you want more to get this person. It's a distraction, like a fight in a in a store when you when you when you're robbing the cash register. You know the 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 tagline here is know your history, know your rights, know your culture. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't write that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know know what that is, but it fits right in with what you you just said. I don't know what all that is. Well, you got to know your history. You got to know your rights and you got to know your culture in order to not be taken in by the funky, the funky lowdown. The funky lowdown is more the history of the world. You know Mm -hmm. I mean? It's more like Genghis Khan was running a hustle, too. It's just more direct. (laughs) (laughs) I'm killing y'all and I'm taking your stuff. He wasn't listening to complaints about who was a slave. You a slave? I'm sorry about that. We don't want to hear anything else. Julius Caesar wasn't, Romans, they weren't listening to what their slaves was, was telling them from a political standpoint. They didn't have like a dialogue. It was like, this is what we do. So we put it in the context of the, of the world, and we start to see that the hustle against people in a, it's an age-old hustle. One thing Genghis Khan understood, though, is he would go into places and he would kill the, the, the wealthiest citizens immediately because he knew that most times the citizens didn't like the, the regular says report didn't like the rich people. <laughs> and they would be actually happy to see that, but what they didn't realize is that he was replacing them with him. <laughs> so they were so busy dealing with their narrative of, wow, you know. Or it's like the Native American tribes that were fighting each other. They were glad to see the white man kill the, their enemies. They couldn't, they didn't have a, a, a go overall perspective of what was going to happen. And that's how the ever funky lowdown is. You don't see it the way it actually is because you, you're fixating on who you think is your enemy. Where did the idea for this come from? Man, I don't know. These kind of ideas, I always kick them around for years. Like, this is a hustle, you know. Just, I just kick it around for years. I've been thinking about this. I, first time I sang the song was 2015. After I, I keep a log of all the songs I sing when I'm writing a piece. I sing these little ideas, and I put the date down with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, 2015 was the first time I thought of it. And so, so 2015 is the first time you thought of it. You sang a song. How many, how many different songs did you come up with, and then you decided this is the, this is what's going to be considered the ever funky lowdown. Well, I still, I'm, I'm still editing it now, but I put it all on the thing in my phone. Like, however many are going to be there, and then I, then I put them all on one, one line so I can, can listen to them and see. So if you look at that. It tells you okay, mm-hmm. that's a march, and you know that's the first I mean, one, six nine fifteen, June that's the June ninth, twenty fifteen. First time I three years ago. Yeah, and then sixteen. Every now and then I get ideas. You mm-hmm. see, see, then it's sixteen, then seventeen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. I have one for fourteen. I forgot about that. That's right. It's from fourteen. And then all of these sound, the, these these sound notes. Is that just you riffing acapella? Yeah, I just, I just sing it. I sing the groove. What, what is going to be? It's crazy sound. I'll play you. We'll play you one of them. Okay, let me see. Let me play this first one. Something is crazy, man. I don't know if I want you to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. Is that funky? That is. Yes, yes. So I just, and I just, not the, that's the New Orleans funk groove I play. That's uh-huh. will play that. So I, I, I know even when I hear that, it, it sets up what I want the language. But I was in fifteen. Mm-hmm. So and then you, I could just keep going. You know right. how many? There's look like, at how many. There's a is. lot there. Yeah, it's like fifty of them maybe. And so then you take that what we just heard. So then, what do you do with that? You then bring it in, bring I'm it into sure to the orchestra, and and right. they put they format it. How does it work? I'm gonna show you what it is because I'm I'm writing it right now. So 
and it might not work out. So if I don't finish on time, you, you'll see that I did it. Wait, you're still you're still writing? Oh, the pre- the premiere is coming up in what, three <laughs> weeks? <laughs> I'm always late, man. I'm still writing. I have a lot to write, too. I've been up for the last month dealing with this. So that's what I just sang. That's the bass line. Doom, ding, boom, ba, doo, doom, dee, doo, doom, ding, boom, ba, doom, bing, boom. Then I start to add all the voices in. Is there a now this is the answer. Do do dee booty love boo And it just goes like that. I fill in the fill in then eventually gets on score paper. And this is all the kind of parts with the singing and the band answering. And uh So they're in different times. That mm-hmm. one was in four. That was that first one. I got another one that's in six. That bass line is boom bing dum dum ding do ding ding dee dum boom do ding ding dee dum dum do ding ding do dum dum do ding then they sing it's the ever funky lowdown then they sing in four against the six got another one in five that one goes boom 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 so then they go off for one boom 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 it's the it's the ever boom boom Boom, 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 boom. It's the ever funky lowdown. So I put the ever funky as many permutations in this piece. Mm-hmm. It's one in six, it's one in five, it's one in four, it's one in seven, it's one in eight. And as the piece goes on, every time they come back with this is when you've been hustled, it's always in a different time. And it, 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 uh, this piece also has a lot more repetition than I usually use in my pieces. And you're still writing. And I have you a long see- way to go. I don't just say, I don't know am I still writing. I have a long way to go writing. So I'm not close. When you, when you were going through your, um, your notations and your writing and humming through, it, it brought me back to something that you have said many times. And I'm still trying to get a, a handle on what this means about the disappearance of the drum. And and because of the disappearance of the drum, that that has done something either to the culture or to jazz or to society. Talk more about that. And that drum is very important. That drum is like central to your consciousness. Now, in music, the most important and powerful thing is sound. It's like the sound of your mother's voice. It's not the words, it's the sound. If I could replace your sound with a computer... Would you want your mama to have a computerized voice? <laughs> no. So it's like once we took the creativity away from the, from the sound of the drums and made it only be functional for a dance beat and took the dynamism out of it by making it be a machine and started looping it, the drum is our instrument. <laughs> Man, you, that drum has so much memory and consciousness and richness. And uh, drummers was kings. You know, Max Roach, Elvin Jones, Buddy Rich, Art Blakey. The list goes on and on. Of all races, drummer is a king. Just the sound on the drum, the power of a drum, the balance of drums, how drums, uh, that's, that's the African retention. Now you took that out of the culture. Man, that's worse than, than that. That's like being in prison. Because now where you had the freedom of a drummer and the consciousness of a drummer and the power of a drum and the majesty of drums, now you have a machine. And uh, to know so little about music that you don't know that that's a problem is an educational problem. That's a problem. And then what about swing? That's another thing that you, 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 you talk about a lot, the... the, the you're, you're always fighting for swing, well, swing and swing's right. place right. in jazz. What is, swing is a mobile environment at the bottom. When the bottom stops moving, like this is, this is not swinging. This is a static bottom. Boom, 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 boom. That bass is going to just do that. If you look at this part, it's just this. Now, I don't have to write any more music. It's just he's copied, he's copied, he's copied. He's copied through this whole piece. He's going to play the same bass part over and over again. So now you start to, you, you start to, uh, there's no freedom in the bass and the drums as a machine. Okay, there's your two most, it's, it's important in your, in your music as in your culture, they have your most, your, your, your most 
back, background position be the freest. You don't want your background position to have to do all the kind of slave work and everybody else is free. That deconstricts everything. So it's swing is a mobile environment on the bottom. The bottom is moving. It allows you to create a steady stream of ideas. Once the bottom becomes static, it's more difficult to create ideas on the top. And I, I don't know if I'm expressing it clearly enough, but it's, just, it's, it's, it's a physical law. It's a fact of nature. It's just it's what it is. Once you, once you constrict the thing that is your foundation, you don't, you don't have the same type of latitude. And uh, guess what swing is? It's when the bottom moves. Boom, 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 boom. It makes you, it gives you an environment which encourages you to create new ideas all the time. Once the bottom becomes boom, 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 it feels good. Boom, 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 Now, what you play has got to be bap, bap. You have to play it in that context. Got it. I think I actually got it. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> but you know, when something is a product, you don't need that space. I don't. It's like, it's like typecasting somebody. Man, I don't care what you did. You're gonna commit a crime in this movie. <laughs> 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 yes. This is what we got. What we got to blow something up in the first scene. That's just what we do. No, no, we got to kill them when we op- when we open this movie. They, somebody's got to die in the first minute. We won't want people to watch it. You get constricted by choice. This is what we have to have happen for you to get your voice out here. Now, are you going to do it or not? And do you want your voice out here? Yeah. Are you going to do it? How much is that again? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I mean, I want to be out here. And I'm not, I'm not casting, uh, I don't, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not judging that decision. Because it's hard to just say, I'm not going to be out here. That's a difficult call. Nobody can make that call for another person. I mean, you make that call all the time. But that's, your, that's your career. But it's different because call. my father struggled. So my example was just him struggling. And I was more interested as a kid in him respecting me and my mother respecting me than in being known by people. But I also got a lot of publicity young. Now, if I hadn't, would I be the same? I don't know. I can't say that. I know that it's a hard call, so I don't. I don't place a requirement on a person to make a call. I just say, this is what I see as the calls that are being made. It's only an observation. Would you, would you say that um, the ever funky lowdown is a, is, is protest music? No, no. Mm-mm. It's just music. It's reality. A, just, just what I, what I see is the, matter of fact, one of the things they keep saying is, can you see? Is the ever funky lowdown? Can you see? Like the Star Spangled Man says, or say, can you see? Mm-hmm. So the question is, can you see? I took, but we, we, we start having a fight in a drugstore or, or a department store or something because we want to steal the money. I would say, okay, we got friends, white and black friends. What we do, me and the white dude, we, we, we start to talk, and then we'll bust out in a fight. Let's put the white man in a suit, and he'll go clean the cash register out, and me and you will call each other all kind of racial names, and he can just go get the cash. And he's our boy. He comes back and says, here, man, here's, here's, your cut. here's, here's our money. Right, and he'll go do the interview with the police. I don't know; these guys just started fighting. I don't know what they would. This is damn commotion. They were talking about with the money in his pocket. It's it's just the way that the, the way the lowdown works is a hustle. It's just it plays on how you think, what you think, the mythology you're given. You're given this mythology. All these movies and shows. Black people commit crimes. Black people call each other niggas. Black people call each other bitches. Black people, all this. Everybody was in drug infested community. Everybody shoots this. They don't have any respect. Every black person, black person has no integrity. You can have a movie with no black people in it. The one black person is will be the one with no integrity. That's just that's a myth, that's mythology. So if I'll get you to buy into that, okay, that's that's devil funky lowdown. So given the given that mythology, of course, my mind immediately leaps to um, the video everyone was talking about just a, a week or so ago, and that's Childish Gambino's "This Is America." Have you seen it? I saw it. What'd you think? I think he's real creative. I think he's very intelligent, and I think that he's he's uh, well-meaning. But I think it made me think really. If I had not met Albert Murray or or uh, Ralph Ellison or Crouch and, and be exposed Stanley to Crouch. like another level of thought about things, 
on a kind of street level understanding where people in the street would say, this is an intelligent guy. Um, I would be in, in line with that. But what I think about the, the, when you're making a product and you show the thing that you're saying is not, then the power goes to the image. So for me, whereas I, I respect his creativity and all the things that he does, I wish him success because they, you, don't, you don't have an unlimited amount of really creative people. Um, so I'm also very measured when I, when I critique younger people because for, for me, I receive so much criticism all the time, even though I talked a lot. But it's just uh, what kind of criticism did you get, man? You know, just <laughs> just nonstop, just get my well, ass lit up. Like, uh, yeah. why? Why not? On on what? It's on just, what issue? It, just it, it doesn't even matter. From from your music or from your the positions that you yeah, publicly doesn't, it doesn't take. Matter. It doesn't matter. It's just older people. You know, a younger person comes up. Ah. You're older than them. You whatever you think, whatever. It, it doesn't even matter. So I always I applaud the creativity. He shows not just not just in that video, but overall doing the music, doing the television show, doing the writing. It's all it's all kind of phenomenal. The kind of ability, singing, dancing, and being in all those kind of it's it's important to always have a, a voice. Of those kind of voices, it's always more information you need, and and I know for myself that information is very rare. But when you show the the a lot of times Greek plays, they wouldn't show violence or they wouldn't show things. You knew it happened. But uh, how many movies have I seen where something blew up, somebody got shot, somebody got killed? That's, that's what we do. And when we're making products, we have to fulfill the requirement of the product first. But, but I, I respect his creativity and the range of what he does. And, and I applaud his, his creativity and what he's doing. From a social standpoint, it's hard to decry a thing that you depict. Hmm. That's a difficult. Some people can do it, but it's, it's it's difficult. So we go from childish Gambino to Kanye West. I've got to ask you about Kanye West and 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 what he said on TMZ. He he where he said when you hear about slavery for four hundred years for four hundred years that sounds like a choice. You was there for four hundred years and and it's all of y'all. It's like we're mentally imprisoned. Now that he goes off into a whole other tangent, Whoa. but and and he talked about being lit up. Kanye West caught all kinds of hell for that. Kanye West makes products. He's gonna put his product out, and he wants his product to sell. I don't. I would never. I mean, I. I don't. I don't take things. I, I would not give seriousness to what he said in that way. Okay, this guy's making products. He's making him some money. He got some probably product coming out that he's selling. He's saying stuff. People talking about him. They're gonna buy his product. I don't. I don't look at. I don't look at it like uh, it's not like Martin Luther King said it or a person who knows or is conscious of a certain thing or it's not like a. a he, he's a pop figure. And I, and, I, and that's another thing I don't understand when pop figures became that empowered. I mean, I'm, I'm not. Uh, once again, I'm also just not a big guy for critiquing popular figures like I think I critique the suit they had on or something but he's entitled to to whatever it is he wants to say the quality of his thought is in the products he makes <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's not just this that's just you take your pick we could put on some of his records I have kids at a certain age so I listen to a lot of uh, a lot of different people's music and some of it is creative but their products are what they are but when you have somebody like Kanye West with the platform that he has and the millions of people who listen to what he says, even though he has a product to sell. He's, um, he's already said what he had to say. They buy his products. His products say much worse than that. I'll guarantee you, if you put four of his, let's get his first four products and read through the lyrics of that, it's much worse than that. It's like what I think about the Robert E. Lee statue and, and stuff, this pipeline of filth into the community every day. Yeah, you know, we could talk about Robert E. Lee. I'm all for that. But we could talk about Kanye West. But what about these products that they're putting out that nobody's talking about? Well, so then when Kanye, when Kanye West says what he says about slavery or, or anything else, doesn't it cheapen the, the conversation that you're trying to have and have been, try, have been having for, for decades now? Kanye West has absolutely no impact on what I'm trying to say. Or no pop figure that's putting out pop products. That's, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be for real and study. I'm so serious about it. And I'm coming from Ellison, Murray. I'm coming from people who, who sacrificed Duke Ellington. And not just black people. Not just black people. 
George Gershwin, Leonard Bernstein, Gunther Schuller. I have a line of great white mentorship, Jerry Mulligan. I'm, and, and for me, you know, I mean, I'm, are, we, are, are we discussing what was discussed in 1970s barbershops around when, when the Mac came out? Who remembers that? Who remembers? You remember how big Superfly was? Is anybody discussing Superfly? Nobody's discussing that. And they're not ever going to be discussing it because it's what it was. <laughs> it's going to be that. So I, Kanye West cannot cheapen a discussion about the seven, six, whatever it is, generations of people who were enslaved, the impact it had on the nation, and what slavery has on the world now. Still people are enslaved. There's, there's, a, there's, there's still the question of us realizing our potential as, as a world to collaborate with each other because that's the new, the new thought is even less black, white, just the world itself. Man, we have unlimited opportunity to collaborate with each other. And the collective creativity of the world is unbelievable, the power of it. If we could ever even think for a second, man, how could we unleash this? And uh, I tend to be thinking more that than about what a popular figure who already puts pop products that I don't, that I don't really listen to or uh, what they have to say about slavery and, and, and what kind of insensitive comments they have because it'll get people to Twitter and, and they're going to buy his products. I honestly don't think that much about it or care about it unless he's getting a, a, a people together and starting to kill people. If he's doing something like an action where I say, wow, but the fact that he can be provocative about it, maybe if somebody will read Solomon Northrop's book, 12 Years a Slave. Maybe somebody will actually go research something, read Frederick Douglass, or will read uh, about Denmark Vesey or Nat Turner, or whatever. We have a, a, a little, a, learn about the abolitionist movement, learn what the freedom, what the Underground Railroad is, know who Harriet Tubman was, understand what to say. Maybe people will actually look into white and black people because we have a mutual heritage. But so far as decrying Kanye West and what he, what he says, I mean, okay, Kanye, it's like, I'm not. He says, why, why can't the man say that? He can say what he wants to say. I mean, I, well, that's what I think. <laughs> I, I don't have to agree with him. Well, but he's entitled to his well, opinion. People lost the, but people lost their minds. Well, you, the intensity you lose your mind with him, put that into learning about it. That's what Duke Ellington used to always say. In the time I spent cussing you out, I could write a great song. <laughs> so I'm not going to cuss you out. I'm going to think bad things about you, and I'm going to write this song. <laughs> I mean, he's not, it's not his, his products don't merit that level of discussion for me. Mm -hmm. That's just how I feel about it. And you, you mentioned uh, a lot of people, Harriet Tubman, um, Albert Murray, Stanley Crouch. William Fam Lloyd Garrison. Okay, mm -hmm. I want to name the white ones too. I get used to naming just the black ones. No, no, you, you, and you. There's white ones in that line. Right. Don't, don't take them out. No, I'm not taking them out. I'm trying to put, I'm trying to put, a uh, uh, particular black woman in because from what I understand, Fannie Lou Hamer Fannie Lou, man. factored. She was prominent in your thinking of the yeah. Ever Funky Lowdown. But Fannie Lou is the rebel in the Ever Funky Lowdown, and Mr. Game observes. You know, we don't even have to kill Fannie Lou. We'll buy out the people around her. Not saying that that actually happened, to her, mm -hmm. but you won't even remember who she is. So we don't have to worry about keeping information from you. You're gonna be talking about Kanye West when you should be talking about Fannie Lou. Well, okay. Well, talk so, about Fannie Lou Hamer. Man, she was just she was the embodiment of the civil rights movement because she was a sharecropper and she was did grew up in the in the shadow of the plantation and she was raped and beaten and she represented all of what of of what of the of the highest aspirations and she Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. She used the political process coming from where she was coming from. Fannie Lou was 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 for real. She she looked at what the truth of it was, and she was responsible for all of us. She took that responsibility. She accepted what came with it, and she stood up, and she couldn't be turned around. She could not be bought out. She couldn't be sold. She could not be silenced. She, uh, she, was, she was out there, and she used our political process. She was, she, I mean, man, you know, Fannie Lou, she was for real. On her on her tombstone in Mississippi, when she died in 1977, um, is one of her famous sayings, and it's, "I am sick and tired of being sick and tired." Yeah, now you know. I think when I see 1977, I think, "Yeah, I was alive. I could have seen her, but I just didn't know. I wasn't conscious. If I just could have went to see Fannie Lou and just, you know, but that's what Mr. Game says. You're not even gonna, 
I don't have to keep, I don't have to kill this woman. I have to take her from you. You're not even going to know who she is. I'm talking about myself when I say that. A lot of times the positions and they're ever funky. I just use myself for the positions. I don't, I don't, I don't put it on other people. Like I know this and you don't know. I didn't know family. I didn't know who Duke Ellington was. What do you mean? I told you, you I grew up, I grew up in the hood. I mean, I didn't know who the man was. My daddy said, do you want to go see Duke Ellington in 1972 or something? I don't want to go see that. What is that? Some old Geritol. I don't, don't want to see, I don't want to see any Duke Ellington. I didn't go. I want to go see, you know, the pimp movie. I want to go do that with everybody I want to do. So I, I never speak from a position above. And a lot of the pathologies, I use myself for them. So I, I have an insight into the in, inner nature of the pathology. When people, when the last note is played, um, the ever funky lowdown, when you finish writing it and, and, it's, and it's performed, what do you hope people will come away with? You know, I never know because it's music and music has so many things and it's a lot of us playing and we all play with different experiences. It's jazz. It has space for people to solo and to do their thing. I never, I never, I never tried to assume what a per, another person will think. Many things I liked and I didn't like. I always say I, I read Invisible Man uh, four times in my life. The first time was when I was in high school. The second time was before I met Ralph Ellison. The third time was after I met him. I didn't like it either of the three times. Mm-hmm. And the fourth time, well, actually five times, the fourth time I had to read it, part of it on, a, on an audio book. And in each time I understood more about what he was saying. The first time I was looking for a protagonist and this and that, but that was when I was in my kind of pimp movie stage. <laughs> I could understand what was the guy talking about. Then when I, out of respect for having the opportunity to meet him, I had to read his book. I read it. I sat in front of the man. I didn't know what the book was, you know. I mean, of course, I'm, I've talked to him many times after that. He was a trumpet player. Then later when I had to read it, I understood a little more. And this last time I feel like I actually understood it better what he was saying. I would ask him about it. He never really took me in there. Like the way I, you know, it's, it, it's things, when you put a lot in things, it takes time. I, I don't really ever put a requirement on a person to like something that I did or I don't, I don't feel hurt if they say I really didn't like that or was boring or, you know, I've been bored by a lot of music that I ended up liking. Hmm. Wynton Marsalis, National Medal of Arts winner, National Medal, National Humanities Medal winner, Pulitzer Prize winner, co-founder of Jazz at Lincoln Center. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Can He Do That, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Post Reports. Every afternoon, host Martine Powers brings you the unparalleled reporting and analysis you expect from the Post newsroom in our newest daily podcast. Or try Retropod, a daily show for history lovers featuring surprising stories about the past, rediscovered. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcast. The Washington 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 Post. Post.